Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 102nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the financial podcast that bans four cards every time we look at your spec box. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic singles and sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host tonight is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Glad to be here. Uh, episode 102. Uh, we've got some, a lot of great information for you. We have a special guest this week. Todd Stevens is here to talk about Rivals of Ixalan. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read our articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, so we're going to do a different format this week. We are going through uh, Rivals of Ixalan with our our good buddy, uh, Todd Stevens, the uh, SCG player of the year for last season, Um, and a generally great guy with a great Twitch stream you should be checking out. Um, First, we're going to dive in on the top movers uh, and take a look at the cards that were moving and shaking this week. What's the first thing on our list this uh, on this list, Travis? All right. The first thing we've got this week is Kumena, Tyrant of Araska. This is the new blue-green legendary um, merfolk. Uh, does some cool stuff. Uh, this is the one that untaps all your guys, right? Because uh, He, he can be made one. unblockable, draw you cards, uh, and put plus one, plus one counters in all your merfolk. Yeah, so he does some cool stuff, and I know we talked about the card, the Marrow Commerce, I think it was last week, that untaps your Merfolk every turn, which was ridiculous with Kumena, who is now a honest-to-God, reasonable Merfolk commander um, in EDH. So you've got the EDH hype going as well. Uh, I also know long-time Fish fanatic uh, Corbin has been playing him in Standard and Modern, or at least, no, Standard, I think, and was uh, quite pleased with him. He was talking that up. Who knows what that actually means? Because, you know, Corbin's a, a scaly, uh, a gilly, I guess. Uh, but it, <laughs> that is definitely where the attention is coming from, at least. Yeah, I mean, I don't like this at $25. Um, this is pre-order hype. This card's going to come down, even if it's a four of an, in a standard deck, which I don't think is is a for surety. Um, you know, for, and the EDH demand is going to be mostly about foils in the long term. The standard demand, the Merfolk deck has to prove itself in a format that may end up being very grindy and control uh, element dependent. So we'll see how that plays out. But I'd be much more excited about this under 10 than I am at the current price point. Oh, yeah. For, oh, yeah. I didn't actually talk about the price today. <laughs> yeah, $12. There's no way. Uh that's unplayable no 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 it, it moved to 25 oh yeah geez even in 12 even at 12 i apparently i can't read tonight yeah no no thank you uh so so next next on the list we've got chameleon colossus at a uh, uh morning tide moving from two dollars to about five dollars for about 125 percent plus gain this is on the back of occasional use in sideboards and modern um where it is uh potentially something you can use in humans um, or in decks that just want to go anti-death shadow um, because it's pro black. Yeah. I like chameleon Colossus. It's a cool card. Um, 
Also can't be fatal push. Yeah, that's probably mostly where this is coming from is the fact that you can't fatal push it anymore. Um, and it just hasn't been, it has not been reprinted in quite some time. Right. You know, you've also got the outside edge for the Galta Primal Hunger combo. You can get Chameleon Colossus's power huge and that makes Galta really cheap. Two mana, 12, 12 trample. Yeah. I'm sure that's why people are buying this up. Um, <laughs> as per usual we don't like things that go from two dollars to five dollars um rarely does that benefit any of us the uh, so moving right along we saw deep root elite out of rivals of ixalan move from 250 to six dollars this is on the assumption that with the new bannings standard merfolk is going to be a force to be reckoned with and uh, i guess we'll see how that plays out at the first couple major standard yeah events. uh it'll be it's in the same boat as kamena so if those you know, if Merfolk is a force to be reckoned with, then these cards might be able to maintain something of a price tag. I don't think it's going to be as high as we're seeing here, but they'll be they'll be uh, usable or they'll have somewhat of a sustain. They, oh, my God, I cannot finish the sentence. Uh, these prices will be managed to sustain for to some extent, but not to these numbers, even if Merfolk is a good deck. Next up. Oh, my Wait, God. What? What? <laughs> I mean, what it, the, the principle you're getting at is the one we're going to talk about with Todd on, in many cases, which is that uh, a card being even a four of in a single archetype in a format where it may fade in and out of popularity is often not enough to make money. What you're really looking for is the multi-archetype staple, like a fatal push that is going to cross formats, cross archetypes, and be useful throughout it, the duration of its standard career so that its multi-format demand can drive its price higher. And ideally, you want those to be mythics, not rares these days. Right. Okay. So let me continue on with my stroke over here. Uh, Field of Ruin from Ixalan. We're looking at the foil specifically, jumped from 10 to 25. This is actually mostly modern play. Um, I know that it's been adapted by some of the, a lot of decks in modern um, because it, uh, it gets rid of problematic lands like Tron lands and what have you, and also allows the user to go fetch up some of their own basics. So it doesn't, you're not falling behind. Uh, and, and it's a cool variant on the tectonic edge effect. Um, so 10 to 25 on the foils, uh, you know, you're going to lose some of that, but I think these are probably going to be kind of sticky at around 20. Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, as a rare, I would have agreed. As an uncommon, uh, I oh, it's an uncommon, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, it is seeing a, lot, a broad swath of play. I mean, we just set set up the kind of like paradigm in which you think you see cards advance, and this because this is a colorless land that can slot into many different decks. It's in blue white control. It's in black green mid range. It's in the Esper control builds, blue black control, mono blue Tron. I mean, many different decks are going to want to run this kind of regardless of where the meta's at. Um, so long as there are problematic utility lands that need to be dealt with or aggro lands that are, you know, either finishing up games in uh, control builds or are, you know, part of the finishing punch in something like a, a Affinity or Infect, um, you're going to want to be getting rid of non-basic lands. And so, you know, I'm not tremendously surprised to see the foils climbing. I am a little surprised to see a foil uncommon from uh, Ixalan up over 20 bucks. Yeah, that's actually... I, I forgot that this was uncommon when I started talking about it. That's pretty nuts. $25 foils are, are not realistic. I would say 10 to 15 is probably a reasonable price point for these going forward. Um, you you want to look, you, you look at the price for something like a Fatal Push and maybe a, at a Lingering Souls. And then I think on the you know spectrum of possibility for Foil Uncommons, you drop this in in between those two. Yeah, I mean, even Foil Fatal Pushes, I mean, the promos are like six bucks for Fatal Push and the Pack Foils are, the Pack Foils are 15 and Fatal Push is way more popular right now. 
So I'm not uh, I'm not thrilled about these at, at this point. Then I think ten dollars is probably yeah. safe. So yet another uh, a merfolk on the horizon uh, or on people's radar that made a move. Jade Light Ranger is moving from four dollars to ten dollars on uh, standard hype. This one doesn't necessarily need to be in a merfolk deck. Um, we're going to talk about this one with, with Todd uh, a little later, but this is uh, kind of like the courser of Krufix potentially of this set. Yeah, big card. Uh, definitely worth talking about. We go into it a bit later, so we'll catch up on that. Same with Rekindling Phoenix, another um, another uh, Rivals of Ixalan card, non-foils, 8 to 20 this week, also on standard hype. Uh, is not the first time we've seen a Mythic Phoenix catch everyone's attention, had it into uh, a set's release, and I'm guessing it's not going to be much different from all the others. There will not be any rising from the ashes once this finally gets back to the price point it should be at. I, I don't, I'm already convinced it's a better Phoenix, but I'm not convinced it's a $20 card, even as a mythic, uh, even if this is a four of, it's probably a four of in a spe- specific build. Um, and it's going to fall back down under 10 in a hurry. So if you have one of these sitting around from your pre-release, I think you want to exit this in a hurry, especially if you're not planning on playing with it this season. Yeah. Uh, what's next for us? Vithian Renegade foils from Alara block jumping from around eight to say 18 or 19, 150% plus gain. That's a human sideboard card against decks like affinity. Okay. Um, yeah, it's got a card that's been around for a while. It's nifty to see that show up. I remember looking at this as a card to uh, cascade into with blood Raid elf way, way back looking for answers to like affinity and stuff like that. And Jund. Um, Next up is Resplendent Mentor from Shadowmoor. Uh, you know what? We actually talked about this one last week. Well, we uh, saw the foils pop, now the, the non-foils. Foil. Again, That's this is people assuming that they're going to put the combo together with Famished Paladin out of Rivals. That's the 3-3 three, three for 2. Vampire Knight doesn't untap during your untap step, but whenever you gain life, untap Famished Paladin. So it's an infinite life combo um, with Resplendent Mentor from Shadowmoor. Yeah, I guess. Sure, whatever. Another one. The cards are all bad, so don't worry about it. Uh, Devoted (laughs) Druid Foils from Shadowmoor, 35 to 110, um, which is a big jump. Obviously, Devoted Druid is a big part of like the Abzan decks in Modern. um, Makes infinite mana with uh, the other card from Momcat, whose name I can't remember at the moment. Um, But the the market price hasn't moved on this at all. Supply is just going to be really low. Uh, and you will probably see this with Devoted Druid several times is you'll have somebody buy one or two foils and the guy who's had his copy sitting around at $100 and change will get to see, will cause the price to go flying and somebody will restock at the market price, which will be $35. it will drop and then the cycle will repeat. This will probably just keep going on until we finally see a reprint on Devoted Druid. The untap mechanic, it has been well since Shadowmoor, basically, uh, and we have gone without a reprint on basically any of those cards and there might've been one or two that have shown up in commander products. I don't remember. So it definitely feels like it's time to return to it. I'll at least in a series of reprints, even though wizards has said that it was not very popular, but now that they have a reason to reprint devoted Druid, uh, we could definitely see this pop up in some commander or arch enemy product or what have you. And or, ma- or a master set. Yeah. The, um, I mean, the, the problem here is in part of my Europe uh, hall, late spring last year was a whole bunch of these non-foil and some foils. So the foils are going to make me some good money, but they're probably barely going to balance off the the copies, the, the non-foil copies that are still sitting around, of which I sold maybe 16 or something like four play sets. Um, the problem is that a lot of these were sitting around in bulk boxes and have managed to fill back in the market. And there's actually quite a few copies 
um, available on TCG now that most of the people that are interested in that deck have already, you know, acquired theirs. There's, again, this problem of specking on cards that are not uh, needed in multiple archetypes or decks is that if, you know, the deck is not taking up a significant uh, portion of the meta, then... Yeah, you know, you're gonna get caught out. Yeah, and it's 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 funny because really things went about as well as they possibly could have for Devoted Druid in terms of how much play it sees um, and how popular the card is, and uh, it's still only you know several dollars, right? It is uh, non foils are currently yeah five or six bucks, um, which is a far cry from the twenty dollars they were at one point. So I guess it's well, and it's like hmm? go ahead. Say it's it's a fair. Uh, a fair reminder for what the even the best case scenarios tend to look like on some of these short term or some of these. Yeah, I think, I think I got. I think I picked these up at like three fifty or something. But the lowest price on TCG is four thirty five, and you yeah. know, yeah, people are unloading some copies in the six to seven dollar range in other in other venues. But you know, unless a, unless a buy list gets up to five or six dollars, there's not going to be a very significant out. Right. Uh, all right. What do we got next? So uh, Pyrohemia, um, because of its combination combos with various enraged dinosaurs in EDH, has uh, made a move from $2 to 6 or 7 I think it was actually even higher than that before it fell back, which makes sense because <laughs> there's a lot of Pyrohemias sitting around in a lot of boxes around the world as well. And um, I think there will be more copies available when all is said and done than there are EDH dinosaur specialists. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um Next up, I mean, it's cute with it's cute with Polyraptor and some of the other stuff, but yeah, again, yeah, and Pyrohemia is, oh, it was yeah, it was in Planar Chaos Commander and Commander Anthology, uh, and the other the other copies are in the four or five dollar range, so they've gone up a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not eager to to buy into this guy at all, uh, especially because I don't think dinosaurs are going to have any lasting not the not the lasting appeal you would need for this. Um, Next up is Lol Mage Mentor from Zendikar. Foil specifically jumped from a dollar and change up to around seven dollars. Lol Mage Mentor is the uh, three mana two two Merfolk um, that whenever you counter a spell, you get a Merfolk token, and then you can tap seven Merfolk to counter a spell. So there's definitely a lot of synergy between him and Kumena. I don't think there's uh, anyone's really thought much beyond oh hey he taps things Kumena taps things there's some stuff going on i'm gonna put lol mage mentor in the Kumena decks um so that's definitely where that's coming from and zendikar again at this point is pretty old so not too hard to drain the market of foils yeah and there's only like three for sale between six and ten dollars on tcg so if you want one grab one because this is not a card that's going to easily flow out of boxes and back into the market um next up ravenous chupacabra uh again from rivals of ixalan non-foils this is the uncommon started at around 50 or 60 cents this week up around three dollars right now uh being targeted as one of the best cards in standard possibly um there's i know there's people have been real excited about it coming into this weekend uh you know we're gonna join chat uh, todd later and he's gonna have some uh some insight on this that i wouldn't have expected so we'll leave that up to him and uh, why don't you finish this out for the week? Biggest mover of the week, standard bearer foils from Apocalypse moving from $1.75 to 15 in theory. This is like an old rare, uh, old foil um, that is rare in terms of, not its rarity, but it's in terms of how hard it is to come by and apparently a popper card. So some popper foils have been targeted recently on the assumption that popper is a growing format. I'm not sure I fully buy into that quite yet. Other, you know, there is clearly 
uh, are, you know, it's a format people are actually playing, um, but I'm not sure how many of them are tricking out their decks. Um, so uh, if people are making money on that, by, by all means, feel free to educate us as to um, your sweet moves that we missed. Yeah, that would be curious to see. All right, and now on to segment two, uh, our second and final segment of the week. We are pleased to be joined by Todd Stevens again. Uh, we had him for a set review a little while ago. He's chosen to visit us again. Hey, Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing real good. How's everybody else? Great. Very good, very good. Thanks for coming back, Todd. Are you uh, looking forward to uh, another big season with the uh, Star City Games Tour this year? Oh, absolutely. Um just so much modern and so many team events on the on the horizon and that's what i've really uh shined in is playing modern so uh definitely looking forward to it but the, the schedule for this season's more is more skewed towards modern now that channel fireball is running a lot of the standard gps right right yeah and just with how uh standard has been within the last year um you know there just weren't nearly as many people showing up to the tournaments but as like modern so Hard to argue with that, but I think we're kind of turning the corner here. I'm I'm looking forward to standard within like the next year, and uh, especially by the next rotation, I think we could have a really nice format. What were you uh, running on stream this week? Um, on stream this week, let's see. I played I played Jund actually. Um, had a, a subscriber the one we play some Jund, and actually went five zero with Jund. And everybody's saying that Jund's unplayable in modern, but. Um, played three collective brutalities in the main and they were just awesome they're just a really good card in the format against basically everybody uh everybody that's not death shadow well even death shadow you still just dress them so it's just a really good card and then i also had two hazard and so the collective brutalities could help empty my hand for the hazards to be able to attack with and everything so mm-hmm. that was that was a lot of fun it is real weird for someone who played modern for the first like six years seven years of its lifespan hear someone say jund is unplayable <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just all these other decks are starting to pass it uh especially ixalan really uh improved the blue decks incredibly uh so des- decks like a uh, jess guy blue eye control with stuff from like opt searchers kanta and those really hurt the uh jund decks like jess guy is just the better john deck right now now is um uh, what's it called? The the new land is starting. The new tectonic edge has that been a component of that? You think too? Yeah, Field of Ruin is is just a, is also amazing. Uh, now now the Jeskai decks don't play Field of Ruin. Same with um, Jund, but uh, Blue Eye Control takes uh, good use of that. Blue Eye Control is like the better control deck against the big mana decks because they they're playing Spreading Season, Field of Ruin. But then Jeskai is better against the the smaller creature decks. Um, but yeah, both of them just really really using Search for Kanta. That card uh, is incredible. That's going to be a modern stable for a long time, and we've seen that go up in price a bunch recently too. Yeah, that was uh, I think caught a lot of people. I mean, like we looked at it and you know myself and plenty of others looked at it and went oh this is a good card but uh definitely undershot how much of an impact that was going to have not just in standard but in modern too yeah i've been targeting the japanese buy a box versions because they're extremely hard to find most people don't even realize they exist um for both that card and growing rights of it lamak it's going to be funny when you can't get rid of those because no one knows they exist, so no one tries to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, like, if you search the card on eBay, you're still this is still going to come out, uh, especially if they search foil um, or promo, and the odds of it being re-released are pretty low. Like, I, I have a feeling we're going to get the same promotion again for Rivals, 
uh, and that the latest flip cards will also be done as masterpieces. Because remember, the flip cards were supposed to be the masterpieces in this block. So it's pretty likely they have the map art set for all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, Todd, uh, we've got a lot of content to go through this week. We just had, not only did Rivals of Ixalan just get fully revealed, um, we also had the banning. So that's really shaking things up as well. Uh, a lot of cool stuff. So let's start this week. Uh, let's dig in by the top five cards in price. And I think we're going to, we've got like kind of a, a rough outline here. Cards by price, top standard cards from your article, modern cards, DDH cards. And I know, I know we're going to blend through a lot of stuff here. Um, but uh, the, 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 uh, the fifth most expensive card in the set right now is uh, Watley, Radiant Champion. Um, and I noticed she was not very high on your list of top standard cards. And she did... She did not even make it, right? Oh, no, she did. She snuck in at 14. So you're not too big on her. Um, w- do you see that having changed with the the ban announcement? Yeah, I, I do like her uh, more with the ban announcement. And the biggest reason why was uh, a rampaging Ferocidon leaving the format. So with Huatli, what you want to be doing is just playing lots of creatures, lots of tokens uh, in particular, and just going real wide. And Rampaging Ferocidon really punished you for doing that by uh, just pinging you for every single creature. So that was a huge ban for Huatli. And I am I am much higher on Huatli now than I was before. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, and so we're looking... It's usually like... Looks like they're around like nine, ten bucks right now. And this could be uh, one of the mythics that that really spikes if somebody figures out like the right way to build a token deck. We saw Abzan Tokens was a pretty good deck before without Huatli, and I expect it to be right there again. And uh, it just it threatens so much loyalty so quickly that it has to be answered because that uh, emblem is just game winning. And you know, we say game winning a lot. A lot of people say like something's game winning for like a powerful effect, but this honestly is game winning. When you're turning every single uh, token producer into just drawing more cards, like nobody can compete with that. That really is truly game winning. Like the Scarab God is game winning. It's that it's that powerful. And so I could I could definitely see Huali being a four of in some popular um uh, standard decks with uh, with like Abzan tokens or maybe even just green white or bant or you know you can have some different color combinations there but I could see it being a four of planeswalker in a in a popular standard deck and uh, having uh, being a good target right now do you, do you have a sense of which token producers you think are gonna would march alongside Watley? well the best pro- token producer right now is definitely hidden stockpile um, that's that's just the the best one right now Um but besides that, you could have stuff with like Saram's expertise and growing rights of Itlamok. Um, that could be something that you could have going on. Um, right now, currently, as we're talking, Saffron Olive is streaming Huali in standard, um, playing a Bant Huali deck with uh, like with uh, the Eternalized creatures like Sacred Cat, Adoran Pouncer, Sunscorched Champion, and those kind of things, and and using Anointed Procession to get. Like, you know, so you're playing your creatures early, they'll die, you'll be able to embalm or eternalize them back, get extra tokens with the procession, and just uh, ways to protect Huatli that way and just gain lots of value. 
Interesting. So, I mean, certainly if we, if it managed to post up into a regular top eight position and she was a three or a four of, then from going from 10 to 20 would not be unreasonable. Um, Of course, if that deck ends up being on the fringes, then she probably hangs out in that six to $10 range instead. Yeah. And especially in in this kind of uh, set where there's not a whole lot of other cards that are really competing as far as price wise, these are the kind of sets where you can have a mythic that really stands out and uh, is real expensive, kind of like the scarab god in um, Hour of Devastation. There's just not a lot competing for like the value of the set. And so we could see yeah, and, and it's also a set without masterpieces. Right. So we don't have we don't have that to chew off some of the EV. The um, so I know the next one was a card that had, you know, popped up on your has risen on your interest list for standard Twilight Prophet is a vampire cleric. Uh, flying creature, 2-4 for 2 and 2 black. It has the Ascend mechanic, which means that if you have 10 or more permanents, you get the City's Blessing for the rest of the game. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have the City's Blessing, reveal the top card of your library and put it into your hand. Each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is that card's converted mana cost. Yeah, um, so there there are four mythics in particular that I'm excited about, and uh, Huali is one of them. And uh, then the two vampire ones... Uh, are both as well. So I'm going to kind of group them together. Uh, Twilight Prophet. And then there's also... Um, Al- Alenda the Dusk Rose. Yeah, Alenda the, Duck, the, the Dusk Rose. Now, a couple of things. Well, we'll talk about Twilight Prophet first because we're just talking... Twilight Prophet's the more expensive one. I'm honestly not sure what kind of deck is going to use Twilight Prophet yet, but I'm fairly confident that, that there will be a good vampire deck. Um, I think... Vampires is just a really tricky tribe to build and it could take some time. It's not going to be like this is not going to be the kind of card that you're going to see week one, probably, or, you know, even within the, the first part of the format. So it's not really the kind of card that you want to spec on right away. This is the kind of card that could go down. And once it starts going down in prices, when you want to pick it up, because it's just the effect that it has is so incredibly powerful. Um. Other things it has going for it, like the four toughness is really nice of dodging a braid and lightning strike, which are going to be uh, important removal spells. Fatal push is actually pretty hard to turn, like with revolt is pretty hard to turn on in standard. Um, so we're, you're kind of looking at like Vras's contempt is like a nice, easy way to deal with this. But Vras's contempt is really uh, the kind of the nice, easy way to deal with everything in standard. Um, but anyway, if you're playing like some kind of token deck again, like this could be an Abzan token type card. Also, like you don't even have to be playing vampires. This could be just nice and Abzan tokens where you're just trying to do ascent um, and get a lot of permanence out. The effect is just incredible here. So I, I really like this card. I think it's really powerful. It's just it's not going to see homes right away. This is not a. Uh, it's going to be going down before it goes up. And, and do you think it do you picture the deck wanting it as a four of? I, I could see that as a four of. Maybe not though. Also, or is it, is it just too early because you don't you don't know what the structure yeah, looks like? Yeah, it's too thing. hard to say. Now, kind of mm-hmm. uh, with Alenda, that's similar. Alenda has a lot more EDH demand, I believe, than uh, Twilight Prophet ha- does, and it's also cheaper right now, so it's a better target kind of right away. But in, as far as standard, Alenda is really only fitting in kind of like a vampire type deck. You're not really playing it in too much else. Well, I don't know. Maybe that could even just be an Abzan token card, also, because so it's it's a Four mana, two white, black, one, one lifelink. Whenever another creature dies, you put a one, one counter on Alenda. And whenever Alenda dies, you create X, one, one vampire creatures tokens with lifelink where X is Alenda's power. 
So it's it works really well with hidden stockpile, um, where you can play it, use an extra mana to sacrifice another creature right away, and put a counter on Alenda. And so then you have like a four mana two two, which of course isn't great, but it's a four mana two two lifelink where whenever it dies, you create two more creatures, and that's like at minimum. Then whenever other creatures start dying, uh, you know, it just keeps on growing. So. And it's also really nice with hidden stockpile, so that it protects it from the exile effects of the format, because you could always just have it as a sack outlet to just make a bunch of creatures, like just kind of out of nowhere. Also, I mean, I mean, part of this seems to depend on whether how fast the format is, right? Like how much pressure the aggro decks can bring. Given that if you're behind, you're sitting at six life or something, Alenda comes down as a one-one lifelink for four. Um, do you think that is the red deck still? still viable given the two bannings it, it suffered yes it is viable but it, it it really took a big hit and especially with ferocidon that that was honestly a bigger hit than people realize um i think the biggest thing that with ferocidon's banning is it makes authority of the consoles a much better sideboard card against red again which can really slow them down and uh you know they're just so much more susceptible to lifelink so i'm um, not too excited about red right now but it it's still a deck that if people are not uh, like respecting it and not playing stuff like authority consoles in their sideboard, they're going to lose to it because you still have on, on crap crasher and a lot of haste with the deck. Right. So moving right along on your, on your top five list for standard, we have Jade light Ranger. This is a, a card that doesn't surprise me. You're, you're into it's a one green, green two one, but when it enters the battlefield it explores twice, which is reveal the top card of your library, put that card into your hand. If it's a land, so card advantage on, on land draws or put a plus one plus one counter on the creature. So it could end up as a four three and then you get to choose where to put the uh, the cards um, or it could be a three two plus a land or it could be two lands. Right? Yeah. Um, so this was definitely like the card I was most excited about whenever I went through the set. It was the number one card on my uh, top 20 list. My first uh, article about the set also I went through. And talked about like all the different things this card can do and everything. And so real excited about it. Now, with that being said, I think it's definitely a sell at $10. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the biggest the biggest problem for it that I've uh, starting to see here is that the green creature decks are there's just not very many of them and they're not very good. So it's 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 going to be hard for Jade Light Ranger to actually find too many homes in standard, I think, um, right now as the form. Right. So it's like. If green decks are good, this is probably the the three slot right. four of. But it's not it's not clear that green decks are good, or even that blue green merfolk is good. You were saying then off camera that the uh, the format may be to uh, have a proliferation of answers for aggro decks, and it's not clear that that they'll be able right. To um, they're just like with settle the wreckage fumigate. It seems like the format's going to be kind of uh, real heavy on um, uh, non creature decks that are good against the creature strategies stuff like uh or even just like uh blue white approach god pharaoh's gift blue black control all that kind of stuff it, creature decks are kind of rough but anyway with j light ranger um with a tune and with um rogue refiner rogue refiner being banned it's harder to play green also there's not a lot around it right now now it could still fit in really well in a green black uh whining constrictor deck that's that's another spot for uh j light ranger Ooh, yeah because it could nasty. it could just like replace like that deck doesn't need to really play blue anymore because they played blue for rogue refiner um 
hostage taker and scarab god before but now with a tune making the mana worse they could just go straight green black be able to play jade light instead of rogue refiner they can play chupacabra instead of hostage taker um and uh, have virgo gear hulk uh, as like the five drop mm-hmm. and <laughs> even with with that kind of deck um i'd be pretty excited about playing the 12 12 dinosaur because you can make some pretty big creatures and make that 12 12 dinosaur but galti primal hunter get that thing out quickly yeah. So there is still potentially a home for J Light Ranger. I'm just worried with that kind of deck against decks that have four settle the wreckage and fumigates. You know, like that's kind of tough to be. Yeah, and for for a rare to hold ten dollars through the through peak supply, it's gotta be super, super super multi archetype staple, like four of and two to three major decks in the format. And the format has to be popular. I mean, one of the challenges here, specking on standard heading into this season, is how many people have been scared off by yet another set of bannings in this format. Over that's the that's a good months. point. Uh, so uh, I will say that J light Ranger reminds me of Corsair Crawfix. And I think a lot of people probably made that comparison as well, but Corsair Crawfix had a very different metagame, very different standard around it. You had cards like Polychronos and Nykthos that really wanted the double green. So, um, you know, I think that and card may end up being a good example of how, uh, a car, or how J light Ranger might be a good example of how a card that would otherwise be very good in this state in one standard is worthless in another, because it just doesn't shake out for it. Um, I, I, I wanted to go ahead. I also question how much, more relevant this card would be as a one two base as opposed to a two one because that would allow it to be a three four um todd would you agree that you'd be more excited about this if it could be have a bigger butt against uh, a braid and lightning strike yep absolutely yeah no i I think that would be better because um yeah actually i i do like the three four over the four three um but as as composed with the four three i think you're going to be wanting it in like the aggressive shells like with the wine constrictor like we're talking about but I, th- I would like it as as a three four to start with. I think <laughs> who who doesn't like cards that come into play as reasonable blockers, shut down red removal spells, and potentially draw two cards. Uh, that's my Corsair crew fix. <laughs> I I do I wanted to touch real quick though on uh, on something James mentioned there. It seems like as good as any time. Um, you know, you brought up the fact that with another wave of standard or bannings and standard might be much less popular than it was. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious whether or not that will end up being the case. Um, we are sort of conditioned historically to see standard bannings as a really big deal. They never happen. It's got to be catastrophic. Uh, we've seen what is it, something like nine cards in the last two years now. So the local narrative on that has certainly changed. Um, and I'm wondering if that's actually going to hurt them this time. So like the first time that we saw the standard bannings with like Emrakul and Reflector Mage, it was like, holy crow, this never happens. But now it's like, oh yeah, it happened again. Teamer Energy wasn't that expensive. Nobody got blown out of the water with their copies. Um, and really, they have made the format, at least they've really tried a better place, right? Like we're going to assume that they were successful and the standard actually did get much better. And I wonder if, if this is instead actually just going to help them. I mean, not only is standard going to be better, but I wonder if we're going to see attendance rise. And I'm curious what Todd's perspective is because he's the one at the opens all the time, like seeing people show up and hearing the conversation and getting a feel for it. So, you know, what is what is this event and what are people's reaction? Is this going to be different than the last couple of times we've had cards banned in standard? Yeah, I think that's, um, I think you're kind of r- right there on the nose. Um, I do believe this is different from the other times cards have been banned. I've heard mostly all positive things about it. And um, before 
um, Mono Red and, or I guess Ramanop Red and uh, Teamer Energy variants were just everywhere. That's that's basically all you could play at the uh, at the Invitational in December. The, those two decks for the standard part took up around seventy five percent of the decks people were playing, which is just yeah, insane. That, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, seventy five percent of the people were playing uh, Teamer or Four Color Energy or Ramanop Red. So. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically like all you know. That's basically the only two decks you could play, um, and like they were. I think they were all eight of the top eight were also just those those two decks also. Um, <laughs> so uh, there are still a lot of people, pl- or like basically all the people playing in standard were people that were playing those two decks. You know, for the you know just generalizing here for the most part, and those kind of players that that like playing like those best decks and everything, they're not going away. They're not going to just like leave the format because one of those two decks are banned because those are the hardcore grinders for the most part that liked that kind of standard format that was playing decks like that um it's it's like i think that uh now with the format opened up that just gets more people in so more people that want to play their cool decks and they don't want to play against the same two decks every single round i think that's just gonna help get more people into standard now, with that being said, there is just not very many standard events right now. Um, I don't think there's very many standard Grand Prix coming up in the next couple of months. You know, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think I heard something about that. I know, as we talked about before, the SCG Tour, there's no standard opens at all these next six months. Uh, the only ones are team that have standard. Um, of course, the, the next Pro Tour is modern. And I think the Pro Tour after that is team. So wait, wait, did, is it? Every open for the next six months is modern or legacy or team. Yes, uh, there's only like one legacy. Yeah, but for the first half of the year, yeah, they they got rid of the standard opens and just made them team as well. I I realized I knew they had scaled back, but geez, I mean, how many opens is that? That's got to be like fifteen, right? Yeah, yeah, around that. I think like, yeah, between like twelve to fifteen or so. Wow. Yeah, I mean this, and this makes sense because with with Channel Fireball, as we said, having control of the entire GP schedule now in North America, the you know the need for Star City to carve out a niche, and especially given as Todd said, you know modern events were just being better attended, you know why not go full fledged and, and and since it's a very it's a scene that that revolves around the grinder, the competitive player, the person who's who aspires to greatness, um, you know give them the format that that supports that best um, instead of the format that seems to be continuously broken. The, I mean, the, my argument would go like this net net wizards clearly believes that these bannings are a positive because otherwise they wouldn't have done them. You don't ban four cards just for funsies. Um, You do it because you know, the format people are bored. um, The format it's solved and you don't know what happens after the bannings, but you know, if you leave them, then things just get worse. So they go ahead and make that decision. And because there are people that want to play standard and were not satisfied with where the format was at, especially probably at the FNM level, if you're trying to bring your tier two, tier three deck to the table, you've probably been scared off by this point. If you're, you know, one of these brewing personalities, um, then, you know, this allows you to come back to the table with something you've been sitting on for a while. Maybe you've got your pet vampire or merfolk deck ready to go and you want to take it for a spin against the new metagame. 
Mm-hmm. It it does seem like your your grinders, your always play the best deck players, are just going to do what they were going to do anyways. And everyone who likes to build their own decks is is excited about this. It gives them a reason to come back because they don't feel like they're being trampled by energy the whole time. You know, it's been a while since I've played standard in F and M, but I mean, if there was anything that would be interested in the format again, it's a shakeup like this. Yeah. Now, um, this kind of still staying a little bit off topic here, um, but. What do y'all think about the the data stuff? Like, it seems like how uh, how y'all were just saying that like the format got solved so quickly and everything. And it seems like we have the least amount of data from Magic Online ever, or by as far as ever. I mean, within as far as I can remember. So obviously that's not ever, but you get the point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, with only yeah, the they five had, deck they lists, had approached- and then there's just not as much brewing. We have like the two decks that like, this is it. This is all you can play. Is it kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy thing that if we had like more deck lists for five O's all the time, that maybe more people would see more stuff and, and start playing more different stuff. Do you think that's a problem? I, I, I think the pros that are playing the most standard have the greatest insight uh, into whether or not there were unsung decks in that format. Um. But from everything I've heard and read so far from you guys, the, what, it, what my impression is that the um, the energy mechanic is broken in the way that it was rolled out. The combination of energy cards that were available meant that almost any configuration of energy got bonus resources game over game. And so that it became a natural to trend towards that. And then you had the one red aggro deck that could compete on speed and a mixture of utility in the sense that it had the colorless damage from Raman Up Red, Ferocidon for anti uh, go wide strategies and so forth. And so it had kind of a perfect storm of, and I I think most people would agree this is one of the stronger um, red decks that we've seen in standard in the last five, 10 years. Yeah. Um, Yeah. but now, but now the the you know the format opens up because they've removed so many key cards and and weakened the dominant two strategies. So is data a big part of that? I mean, I think that the more data you have, um, the more a format that can be wide will be, trend towards wide. But a format that has been designed to be narrow becomes more narrow. And I, and I think that I think that's how you have to look at the data is that data will um, extrapolate on the natural design features of the format. And I, I'm what I'm hoping is that now that Wizards, you know, 12 months ago or whatever, set up the play design team that is in theory designing formats and with a with an almost certainly with a strong eye to standard design. Um, where they're going to try to assume, ensure that there are enough decks to keep people interested and that broken cards don't slip through the mix, that it's too early now for that to take a, take effect. So it's not that surprising that we've seen bannings. But a year from now, two years from now, once that team's had a go, if they still haven't solved things, then Standard's going to be in real trouble. Yeah, no, those are those are real good points. And, just, and also, with, just to finish up with that, with that energy part of like, I was saying it was just the broken mechanic of the thing to do. The other, the other broken part about the energy was they got the they got basically the only mana fixing in the entire format, and that was I think that was a huge right. problem. They had a, you got Ether Hub, a tune with Ether, and Servant a Conduit, and nobody else has any kind of mana fixing like that, except for maybe vehicles with Spire of Industry. But like, there just wasn't other mana fixing to to compete with that, so you couldn't really play other three color decks and find a bunch of good cards or anything because you just didn't. Have mana fixing. Right. Because 
because those because those energy cards were a little weaker if your deck couldn't use the energy. But if your deck could use the energy, then they were yeah. great. And so it isolated them within those decks and cut those options off from the decks that didn't want to go that route. Um, I mean, the thing here is that, you know, from a player perspective, people might ask, well, why does standard even need to be the core format? You know, like as a player, you might just say, well, let's just refocus on modern and make a bunch of sets that focus on modern. But the problem with that is that you have to take the big picture perspective on the financials for Magic as a whole and realize that the reason standard exists as a format, a format that's only a couple of years long, that they tried to shorten to 18 months and then had to go back to 24 because that was scaring people off, is that it sells new sets. These guys want to sell four major sets a year and they want you to feel compelled to buy a box or two every time. And if the format format is modern or it's legacy and these and that's the core format that everybody's playing and and time goes on you it's so much harder to print relevant staples into those formats given how deep their catalog is of available cards that it's just not going to push revenues the same way that a format that requires you to update your collection all the time is going to so they've got to fix it they have to fix it okay um I, I will chime in that uh, my, my read on the ban, because we're all kind of all over the place. My read on the ban is is pretty simple and just that they need to stop printing mechanics that can't be interacted with. Um, it, like, in fact, an energy are two types of those mechanics where your opponents just can't, they can't touch what you're doing really um, because it's like this resource that they, they don't have access to. I think those are extremely dangerous. Uh, beyond that, to, to Todd's original question about the data, so I guess that means, James, your position is that the, the data catalyze, the, the excess of data or the, the full data catalyzes what the format would be as it was, which is not unfair. Um, so if it was going to be a format that could shift and balance and swing around, that that's what you would get uh, even with the data. And if it's not what you would get, if it's going to be settled, that you're going to get to the settle faster. I don't think that's completely unfair. I'm not sure... I think overall, I tend to be a fan of releasing data. I don't like hiding data, um, especially when the idea is uh, we're going to hide data to make it harder for players to... We're going to hide data to to make it harder for players to figure out what's wrong with the format, basically. Um, this, you know, it's funny when you talk about it, it actually kind of reminds me of like Diablo. Uh, and let me explain what I mean by that is... ARPGs, which is what Diablo is, um, is is all about friction, right? And it's like if if you get rid of all the friction, there's no gameplay. The gameplay is the the essence of battling through the stuff that's in your way. And the more and more friction there are, the kind of the more of a climb there is. And if you get rid of that, the gameplay gets shallower and shallower. And when I think about the data with magic formats, I'm kind of picturing it the same way, is that the less data you have, the crunchier and the more friction there is. And it's harder and harder to kind of wade through that. And some people find that very frustrating because you're not, Wizards isn't making things easier for us when they could be. They could be giving us the tools to kind of explore it more. But I guess Wizards is concerned if they give us too much, they remove they remove some of that friction, it gets a little too slick. And if there isn't enough depth to what we're working with, that we kind of hit bottom and then we're all just stuck standing around with 80% energy in red. Um, so I guess when they first made the changes to the data uh, and they really started to restrict it more and more, it really irritated me. And I'm still not convinced that it was right. There are a lot of intelligent people at Wizards that are capable of making good decisions, but sometimes they probably it can be a little myopic working inside of the 
environment like that. But I guess I'm a little softer in my condemnation of the practice than I would have been a couple months ago, because I, I guess it could be helping kind of prolong the length of the standard format by making it harder to find rock bottom of standard. But I mean, I guess in general, I would trend towards letting more information out. Yeah. Um, just to finish with that, I I actually think the opposite. I think that it doesn't help prolong the standard format um, and uh, keep people from the same couple of decks. I think it it does the opposite. I think that if there was some more deck lists out there, it would open up imagination, uh, other people's imaginations when they start seeing like some cards being played and everything. And with that more imagination, you'd have more... Um, kind of like uh brews and, and angles that people would find to a- attack formats and everything. And when there's just not that many deck lists out there, uh, people don't really start seeing what they could do. And it's kind of like the, like how we we're talking about with those vampires from earlier. I do think they're going to be very good. The vampire mythics. I think they could be very good. I think they could be very impactful. If we're looking at cards that could go up, that's what I'm looking at, but I'm just not exactly sure, you know, exactly how it's going to happen you know, like they're, you know, it's tough. And so if, you know, if it starts seeing like more people have so like some takes on vampires, you can kind of take some ideas from here, from there and so on. And I think more data actually uh, helps the format survive longer. If you think about modern, there is an enormous amount of data we have on modern over the, like the last five years, people have been playing Tron versus affinity forever. You know, like there's so much data that we have on modern just forever and you see that's one of the healthiest formats obviously they have a lot bigger card pool and that's not the only thing about it but um i don't think that more data uh restricts honestly yeah but we should probably move on yeah say we could probably <laughs> just spend a, an entire cast on this yeah, <laughs> yeah. just a, just a quick point on to finish up with the bannings um i think that what's really missing here is a compensation package for players that ties into a loyalty program. I mean, we, and I've talked about my ideas on loyalty programs at the LGS level before on this cast. Um, and I think it's important to, to recon that on, you know, in the way, in the face of this latest banning, the, the problem isn't that you need that you banned cards. I, I think that wizards, uh, requires the flexibility to, to keep player interest high by manicuring the format as they see fit. Um, you want to make sure that those those are good bans that most people agree with. And I think one of the things working in their favor here is that most people saw the logic of these particular cards in a way that maybe some people didn't with, say, Reflector Mage, um, and that they, they gained some support points from that. But you still do have players that got stuck holding decks that may not be viable at all. I mean, yes, you only banned two cards from each deck, but that may inv- invalidate the entire strategy. And if it does, then and you put a couple hundred or two or three hundred dollars into that deck, then you still do have to look in the mirror and decide whether you want to recommit to the format with some other cards you've got lying around, plus picking up some new stuff. And you know, that's tricky. And I think that what's really missing here is the program that says, you know, uh, get a discount on this or free event entry on that that is partially or completely funded by wizards in the case where they need to do this so that they can have a marketing engine that pulls players back in and gets them to try something out. Um, you know, they, there was no announcement of that type along with this. And I think that's just a miss for their marketing team. Fair, fair. Uh, yeah, well, I guess it's a new topic. I get to talk about it. Yes. I, the compensation package is really tough. That would go a long way towards allaying people's frustrations with the events, but at the same time, it's admitting that their cards were worth money, which is 
like kind of a weird position for them to be in. They try not to do that that much, right? But well, it, it can't be cash compensation. Like that's crazy talk, right? But but you can you don't have to admit anything about value in terms of saying for each of these cards, whatever. You can just have a coupon that goes out to everybody, whether or not they were directly affected. That is meant to bring them back in, and you you pair the announcement with that coupon. So it's five dollars off a box of rivals or whatever. If you're trying to get people to get into that new format, you need something. And it doesn't need to be like send in each copy of your card and we'll replace it. It can be something that's more generalized that works to drive traffic to the LGSs and make sure that FNMs are fully stocked. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Okay. All right. So back back to the topic from 20 <laughs> minutes ago. Top five cards by price and what we think of them. Watley Radiant Champions at nine could go up if she finds a home. If not, probably headed down. Todd is high on Twilight Prophet and also a Lend of the Dust Rose. Jade Light Ranger needs a green deck to succeed to be a big deal. Number two on the list was Rekindling Phoenix at $20 as a mythic rare. Todd, do you, do you think this thing this thing has got legs? Yes. Uh, Rekindling Phoenix is the other of the four mythics that I really like. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a really strong card. It's really hard to kill. Um, now, a couple of problems. You have... Sh- Chandra, Torch of Defiance, Hazard at the Fervent, and uh, Glorybringer already in standard. So, you know, how many four and five drops can you play in red? Uh, $20, probably too much. But um, I could I could easily see this card going in, uh, well, not Ramanop Red, so I guess Mono Red Aggro, like the new as, Mono Red Aggro. As a red is what I was hearing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because um, it, is, it is just a really good card. You know, like we've been burned by Phoenixes a ton in the past. You know, like, <laughs> I get it. Yeah, like a lot. Yeah, um, Ash, like Ash Cloud Phoenix was like a four one. Uh, yes. Yeah, we have a four three here. I think there's a lot, lot here. Like you don't have to. Like the big thing I think is that it it comes back with haste, and you don't have to spend any mana. You don't have to have besides your four mana, your original four mana investment. You don't ever have to spend any more mana on this Phoenix, and I think that's huge. That you can continue to do other things while this keeps coming back. Um, even if you end up finding yourself behind, it's a wonderful blocker. You just block and then, you know, get it back and stuff. Um, I, I really like this uh, Phoenix. I think this this could be a, a really strong card, um, especially post-rotation. For now, though, at 20 bucks, definitely selling, uh, looking into buying this card later. But uh, this, this, could be, this could be the best card in the set. Um, and that's not, that's not hard to imagine at all. But I think I think we can all agree it's a coin toss, right? That we had the, the Phoenix. This Phoenix is edging up the power level because it doesn't have the hammer of Bogard and claws where you pay mana to bring it back, um, and it requires two uh, removal spells to deal with permanently. But um, you know, as you said, there are a lot of good red cards in the in the four out of five mana slots, and it's not clear which deck this slots into and whether they want four. So. If you picked up one of these at your pre-release, I think we can all agree you get rid of it at anywhere over 15 and you plan to get back in somewhere near close yeah, to I six mean, or something. Yeah, I mean, even if this is a four uh, in Hazard, which is a tier one deck, you're looking at, what, 12 maybe? 12 to 15 seems to be where these types of cards hang out generally um, because it's very unlikely it's going to break into any other archetypes. Uh, you know, it, you know, Jerry raised a good point. He commented that if you get rid of this and you get rid of the token, you've got a two for one. So like there's a little bit of uh, value in there for it. But in general, I think this is probably limited to red, which means your price tag isn't much more than $10, 15 on the absolute high end. Well, I, um, I don't think that's right. I think this is this is a really good mid range card, honestly. 
Um, you see this in like a standard Jund? Yes, uh, because because it um, because like it is like the two for one type thing. Um, I I kind of like this. All right, so so like let's say you're playing like a red black deck, maybe a Jund deck, but you know you're rekindling Phoenix dies and uh, the token dies. You know they use like a walking blister or something and kill the token or whatever. So you know your your Phoenix is is down. Well. Can you imagine just like the value of using Liliana Death's Majesty to get this Phoenix back? And then they have to go through the trouble of trying to use two more cards to kill it again. Um, and like I said, it is just a really good blocker. So it's it's a I think it's a good mid-range card because it is good at attacking or blocking um, either way. So is this like a deck that is this the deck with Jade Light Ranger and Chupacabra and like Dire Fleet Poisoner or something? Yeah, I could I could definitely see Phoenix in that kind of deck. Now, obviously, the if you're playing Jade Light Ranger and, and Liliana and Phoenix, the mana base would be horrific, but because the mana is pretty bad right now. <laughs> yeah. Right? So maybe not even John, maybe just like red, black, you know, you're just playing a red, black mid range deck. I could see this over Glorybringer in a mid, in a uh, red, black mid range deck where you're not playing Hazard, probably not, not playing Glorybringer because it may just die too easy and stuff. And maybe you just have more fives you want to play and you just want some more fours. Um, yeah, I like it. Is, is Dire Fleet Daredevil? being sorcery speed only because of the lack of either vial in the format or a similar effect mean that it's not something you're going to look for in a deck like that? Probably not. I I could be wrong on dire fleet daredevil, but I'm not too excited about it with it only being your, uh, you know, your opponent's spells. So you, you have to play against an opponent where, where they have spells where you want to cast it against them. I'm not too excited about that card. I'm, I'm much more excited about something like dire fleet poisoner in that in that kind of red black deck where poisoner has flash and it could come death touch. yeah and death touch and it's kind of like a two mana removal spell uh at instant speed i'm i would be more excited about a card like that <laughs> although poisoner giving uh an attacking pirate plus one plus one in death touch itself certainly sets up a two one first strike pirate a little better yeah and that that's that's if you want to be pirates but i could i mean i think poisoner is just good enough as a card just to be you know, like a card in, in mid range decks that maybe doesn't have any other pirates. I interesting. I would like to point out how immensely amused I am that there's a card with the name poisoner and it's neither infect nor poison. (laughs) (laughs) It's that death touch. Yeah, true, true, true. All right. So our most expensive card currently in the set is Kumena tyrant of Araska. Um, I'm assuming people think that this is both a standard card and potentially a modern card, but uh, I have my doubts about this in modern. Like, I'm not sure this shores up any of the necessary slots in the modern Merfolk deck, even if we're talking blue green. Yeah, no, I, I hate it in modern. I don't. I don't think it's good in modern. Um, not even that big of a fan of it in standard. And Merfolk could be more powerful than what I believe, but uh, the few matches I've played against Merfolk so far have not not been too impressed with the little fishies. Um, could see it being a a commander card if somebody wants like a commander Merfolk. I mean, you got that, but. This this is easily a sell at, at these kind of prices. I mean, it's not like it's at at most a three of in one single standard deck, and that's it. And I don't really see uh, other eternal formats for it. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the things that we definitely need to be looking at when we're talking about financial potential. Is if you're if you're the success of a mythic or a rare is entirely dependent on its use in a single deck, and the deck hasn't proved out yet that it's going to consistently make top eight, then you're risking it being irrelevant. In which case, this falls to three or four dollars. All right, so let's move on to your top standard cards, the cards that you think are definitely going to get there. We've talked about Jade Light Ranger, that was right near the top of your list. Um, t- talk to me a little bit about Ravenous Chupacabra, the uh, 
new Necrotal. Yeah. So my list that I had on here was, you know, trying to trying to decide like which cards would see the most play. Um, yeah. So I had Ravenous Chupacabra at two, and um, I don't know. I'm 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 lower on Ravenous Chupacabra than whenever I wrote this article from from uh, seeing how the format's shaking up the formats <laughs> because the format's just not really about a ton of creatures right now. Now, if it does turn out like winding constrictors, you know, is a big thing. Merfolk's a big thing. Uh, creature based vampire decks, you know, then Ravage Chupacabra keeps going up um, in value. But right now without like how I've been saying, there's a lot of like God Pharaoh's gifts, tokens, um, uh, control decks from blue eye control or blue black control. Grixis like, mid-range stuff is real real popular deck like chupacabra is just not an amazing card against any of those kind of strategies um and the fact that we have hostage shaker also kind of competing with it in similar decks i don't know well i was i was actually going to ask you about that because um i know that chupacabra caught everyone's attention and i'm like is blue black mid-range going to become a deck because now you can run four chupacabra and four hostage taker and just slaughter everything at the four spot all the time. Um, and I wondered if you thought that the printing of chupacabra would push up hostage taker because you can just run so much of that effect. And then when you, then you put scarab God on five and uh, you fill out the bottom of your curve with some removal and it seems ludicrous. Uh, but you're telling me that there's going to be too much control for that, uh, which is interesting. I mean, I guess you've got blue white approach and then some other, I guess blue base control decks of various stripes. Mm-hmm. Are you are, are you expecting to see a lot of torrential gear Hulk? Yeah, yeah, I'm expecting a lot of torrential gear Hulk. Um, uh, and even like blue white cycling is another like popular deck. Um, but now, oh my new perspectives! My new perspectives are coming back. They're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> now still got some yeah, left. Those four drop slots you didn't you didn't mention the best card the best the best four drop four mana removal spell. And one of the best cards in the entire format, like I would say one of the top five cards in the format is not Jupacabra Hostage Taker, it's Vrasa's Contempt. Vrasa's Contempt is right. so important with Scarab God being such an important card. Um, right, and so and so the control decks are going to play, as they typically do in standard, some mix of the available options so that they can maximize their, their flexibility in the right. play cycle. And because of that, four ofs may be rare in those decks. I mean, they may not run four Torrential Gearhulk. They might run two of that and, you know, three contempt and and a tetsamok or whatever Vraska's contempt at five dollars is annoying because if it was like two two to three i'd be like yeah. hero's downfall was a 12 dollar card but at five it's like eh, eh. yeah yeah i mean because even if it goes up to you know seven eight like are you really making money on that you know yeah, that's one of those yeah. c- cards that I'm I'm comfortable telling you guys you should trade for, like if you're still slinging binders, because like it's the type of card that you can trade for at its current value and feel very comfortable, but don't put any money towards it. Yeah, if you don't, if you're playing standard and you don't own them, um, just just get your set of contempt so you have them. But that's you know, yeah, it's not really a spec thing. Okay. So so we touched on dire fleet poisoner. That seems like a pretty flexible card that it'll make it into a couple of different decks. Um, Silvergill adept. If Merfolk is a deck, that's a slam dunk four of, yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. My next my next three cards were all just the Merfolks that are all slam dunk four ofs. Uh, Adept, Merfolk, Mistbinder, the Lord, and Deep Root Elite. Deep Root Elite is just a better metallic mimic for the deck. So basically, I just kind of had them all grouped together where Merfolk's a deck. They're all slam dunk four ofs. Um, n- none of them are really exciting price point wise, though, for, for investing in them. 
Yeah, I mean, we've already seen quite a few of the cards that seemed like they might have room to grow on the in the merfolk and vampire decks people have already been targeting them so those opportunities have faded until we see how these top eights shape up and because of the lack of major tournament information there's no pro tour to inform standard and SEG's not focused on it we're largely going to be looking at gps um you know how gp stuff uh, evolves and my thinking is that there's there's going to be interest in this standard but that the focus is going to be mixed across several formats for the next few months and because of that i think it's it's going to be tougher and tougher to spec on standard cards until we see a strong swing back in the other direction yeah agree all right so let's let's move on to the top modern cards from the set then um let me let me walk you through the stuff we put on this list and you let me know if you think we're missing anything so the bottom three cards in this list of five, um, I'm not, I guess, no, the, the last two in the list uh, are highly speculative in terms of whether they can make it in the format. So number five is Ravenous Chupacabra. Is a Necrotal good enough to make it into some kind of like, nope, grindy mid-range deck that uses Eldritch Evolution or something? Nope. <laughs> like, Definitely no, not. I, I can't imagine you'd play this over Shriekmaw like ever. Because like Shriek Maw just you has the ability for like two mana to get rid of something. Now, obviously, Chupacabra can kill anything. So if you're talking about again specifically like Death Shadow, it only plays like black creatures that you want to kill. Shriek Maw's not so good. But or affinity. Yeah, I mean there's there's just better options in in modern than Chupacabra. Nope. Yeah. So the other one is Azora's Gateway, which is a card that I think a lot of people have um interpreted uh, improperly when they read it. I know the first time we talked about it, Travis, I'm pretty sure I missed the part where you draw a card before you put one in exile. Uh, it's possible. Yeah, so this is the legendary artifact for two. For one, you tap it, draw a card, then exile a card. So you are getting card filtering and selection. But it does basically nothing else until you have four, five or more different converted mana costs uh, exiled. Then you gain five life, untap it, flip flip it and then you start tapping for mana equal to your life no um so you know it's five different converted mana costs so like zero is a converted mana cost you get a land so that's kind of nice but this is just way too slow you gotta get a one drop a two drop a three drop a four drop my concern (laughs) about this is that by the time you finally get to the payoff you're not gonna have any life left to tap it for so i think you could isn't there a card that could like turn this into, or you could play like arcane ad- adaptation or something like that that like turns it into a, a, a werewolf, and then you could use like moon mist <laughs> to flip it well, out no, and into I, a werewolf. I think I so, talked about Ixedron. I I, I mentioned Ixedron when we talked about this last week. That's funny. Okay, but yeah, no, there's this. This isn't seeing any play in modern. So, like at at best, this is like a one of or something in a control shell that's trying to get cute. But yeah. and then and then they test it and realize they'd rather it be search for his contour or something and switch back. Yeah. Do you want a uh, mod- a card that's much 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 more likely to see play in modern? Hit us. Quatly Radiant Champion. Really. The card's perfectly fine with uh with Nissa Voices Endicar making some tokens, uh, and then um, yeah, just just play it in like a either a green white or Abzan token deck and. So this is Perfectly like li- lingering souls, lingering souls to to defend Watley, and then every yep. token you're making off your bitter blossoms or something later is a drawing a card. Oh yeah, if you ultimate Watley, that's you're just 
<laughs> can you imagine like ultimate quality and then yeah every every time bitter blossom token comes in you draw a card every like you play spectral possession draw three cards it just turns into like treasure cruise plus make three one ones I mean, they they come in hard against you, and you timely reinforcements set up the blockers. She's yep. getting a, a minimum of three loyalty, depending on what else is out there. Still, that's not a four of right. That's like a two of in that deck or something. Well, it could be could be more, but I mean, it, it's going to see infinite more play than Azor's Gateway or Ravenous Chupacabra. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so the um, because it's got to share in that kind of deck, it's got to share a slot potentially with Soren Solemn Visitor. Um, yeah, or uh, Gideon, ally of Zendikar also. Right, exactly. But, but that ultimate is insane. Mm-hmm. So Merfolk Mistbinder, though, probably takes over the three slot uh, in blue-green Merfolk, right? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 gonna, probably going to be in blue-green Merfolk. So, yep, that's a that's a modern card. But because it's an uncommon, I'm not very, very excited about these foils at $25. Oh, no. That's going to come way down. Uh, what about Blood Sun? How much of an impact do you think Blood Sun has? Is that a main deck card in some kind of white-red prison build, or is it a, an occasional sideboard card? Kind of tough to say. I'm kind of le- I'm leaning more towards the occasional sideboard card. Um, and it's pretty meta-dependent, right? Yeah, on the scale of like not seeing hardly any like hardly any play to occasional side like occasional play to you know a main board card in some decks i'm definitely on the very low end of like no play or occasional sideboard card there are Mm, really yeah there are like you know of course instances where blood sun is uh really nice you know like against like fetch lands and stuff but i don't i don't know i i've been pretty unimpressed with it so far i've tried it out in green red tron didn't really like I tried it out in the sideboard of Green Red Tron. It didn't have any matchups where I wanted it, really. Um, if Infect and Affinity were a bigger part of the meta, would you be higher on it? Hmm. Not Even that they rely on their their artifact lands to. Yeah, not particular. I don't. Not particularly. It's hard to find. Okay, so the biggest problems is, you know, you do have like Blood Moon, which is just most always a better card than Blood Sun. Uh, you know, besides the whole cantripping part, but it's it's hard to find a deck that wants to play it that also you know doesn't get hurt by it. So, right, you know, like you you have to play it with some deck that you don't you don't really want fetch lands in your blood sun deck. Um, so like that just takes out so many different decks that you could possibly play it in. And uh, I don't know, yeah, I'm not, I'm just not I'm not too excited about it, honestly. Have you uh, so, have you seen it in uh, fetchless storm builds? That's pretty interesting. I like it. No, I had seen now, that pop how, up. How is it better me. than how is it better than Blood Moon and Fetchless Storm? But though, it cantrips. Yeah, it yeah, cantrip. and, it, and it does let your like steam vents and um, steam bluff, steam bluff cliffs or whatever. All of those like blue red dual lands still produce blue for you. So it you don't lock yourself out of blue, and you cantrip on your in your even in your bad matchups. Yeah, I guess the the fetchless version of Storm, yeah, they can't go get Blood Moon. So yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. But um okay, so what what matchups does that help you in with Storm? Like whenever you're playing that with Storm, what do you how does that help your Storm deck win? Uh I mean, don't ask me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not you know, like sure, it shuts down Valakut, but that's an amazing <laughs> matchup for Storm. Uh it it doesn't really hurt Tron, so that that's already a good matchup. It shuts off other right, people's I mean, fetch lands on your turn three. 
um, which I don't know how that helps you win. Like, yeah, I know like Jeskai could be like those kind of matchups are kind of tough for Storm, but that's not Bloodsun. I don't think is helping Storm beat a deck like Jeskai or like, you know, the removal heavy decks or discard decks or something. I, I don't what see how Bloodsun's red... helping them. I will what about talk... a red? Go ahead, Travis. I'd say I will toss in again, not only to be the devil's advocate. Yeah. Um, the, the, it's not what I read was that it's not a turn three play. You ritual it on turn two was the idea. O- again, only repeating what I read. Okay. So yeah, you ritual it on turn two to like shut off like a fetch lands after that. Yeah. Um, Which still seems kind of magical Christmas landy. I think the, the, the impression I got was mostly just that it, it can trips. Like it, it never feels like you're down a card basically. Uh, yeah, I, I, but given that foils, given that foils are at thirty five dollars, I think we can safely assume that given that we have a modern pro tour coming up, that we're going to get a pretty good sense by the end of that. You now, where this fits into the big picture, and I don't want any part of thirty five dollar rare foils. Um, so happy to see, wait and see on this one. Oh yeah, yeah. no, it's this is this is definitely a sell at thirty five I mean, for sure. Uh, the foils, but the thing is, like you know, with you only having seventy five slots in your deck for modern i can't imagine that storm that this is like one of the best 15 cyborg cards that the storm could could possibly have i, I can't I will, imagine it yeah i mean that's that's quite possible i i will point out on a larger issue this set seems to be wor- even worse than other ones in terms of it not being worth buying in early like it just seems so like everything is so overpriced at the moment that it's i, I don't yeah i mean there's just no meat on the bone whatsoever yeah. Yeah, and the e- the EV of the set is not particularly great. It's somewhere like low, like just below average for a new set. And yeah, there's a lot of overpriced cards here that are going to fall dramatically, especially if standard doesn't end up being that popular. If it like has a minor resurgence instead of a major one, which I suspect is going to be the case, the then almost all of the rares have to collapse. Um, so I had Dire Fleet Daredevil on this list. Todd, do you think this card is going to make it in in Modern Humans? Nope. <laughs> you, you, you don't like the you don't like the idea of Etherviling it in at the end of their turn. Yeah, that is kind of nice. You can Etherviol it in and then use their own removal spell, I guess. Um, I I was thinking about responding to a Snapcaster deck. Oh, okay, so you respond by Etherviling it in um, and steal and steal the steal the target back. I mean, would you rather play this over uh, Dark Confidant? Which a lot of them still don't even do that, or like minimum Dark Confidants. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, no, I don't I don't see this card. Very fair. Uh, don't do something worse. And it's, I guess, it has to do a lot of work to not be a worse Dark Confidant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at it this way. With Eidolon and the Great Revel, I was buying in on foils at $8 as a foil uh, small set rare. Um. Anything over 12 doesn't get me excited. And certainly all of these foils we were talking about as potential modern cards, most of which you didn't seem too excited about, are all over $20 right now. Yeah, this said, like, Ixalan had so many good modern cards, but I'm but does not seem like Rivals of Ixalan really has them. It seems like for the whole block, they were all in Ixalan. So is there anything that we didn't mention that you've noted as something that you think you might be interested in or you might be testing or that you think somebody else is going to end up running in their archetype in modern? Let's see. For modern, you could have like, um, I mean, we're going out on a limb here, but, you know, some of those other ones are going out on a limb. Uh, Kumena's Awakening, uh, four mana blue enchantment that 
uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, each player draws a card. If you have the city's blessing, blessing instead, only you draw a card. Um, you know, so that could be that could be like in the taking turns decks. Uh, it this, this is like one of the nicest howling minds, as in like uh, your opponent does not get the um, gain from this card first. Most all other howling minds like or like just regular howling mind, they draw the card and then you do. This is still at the beginning of your upkeep. You both draw, so you're still both drawing at the same time, and you're both drawing at your turn. Um, so even even without ascend, uh, then of course when you have ascend, only you're drawing a card. That's see, I have too many I have too many foil fevered <laughs> visions sitting around to get behind this. Oh concept. yeah, yeah. Like I said, it was a stretch. Um, yeah, not excited about time stream navigator. Yeah, that's there's not not a lot for modern. Now, what do you th- okay? No, that's this. That's not going to be good enough for modern. I was, I am really interested in just masterminds acquisition, just kind of in general. Um, being able to find a sideboard card in game one is just that's that's really appealing. You know, with especially with modern, when there's so many sideboard cards that are just uh, that are incredibly good. But of course, it's four mana sorcery. It's hard. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Blue blue deck blue decks so rarely want to play at that speed. Right. Mastermind's acquisition is an EDH card, right? It's a uh, it's another demonic tutor that does even yeah. more. I saw some people getting excited about that one. Mm-hmm. Do you, are there any of the flip cards that you think are underestimated for modern? No, not particularly. I've, I haven't really liked the flip cards in general. Um, okay, one more Galta Primal Hunter. That that sure. uh, you know the the twelve twelve. If you're playing something like elves, yeah. Um, that could be a thing. Also, what about Galta Primal Hunter? Green Green's going to be hard, but what about just playing that in Affinity whenever you have like uh, <laughs> a, a cranial plating equipped and you have like all this power, is, then you just throw it, down this 12-12 trampler? <laughs> is, is that better than in Traverse Death Shadow? Uh, maybe not, but yeah, you, yeah, tra- Traverse Death Shadow also. That that could be a card, and like we said, like with elves, could be like maybe with Merfolk, if like the blue green Merfolk. I, I do think that's a standard blue green Merfolk card, by the way. Galta Primal Hunter. I think Galta Primal Hunter is going to be a better standard card than a lot of people think. Um, right, because it's not too tough to have five or six Merfolk on the battleground and then cast it for six. Right, and I think uh, I think Ronus is just a, a a good card with Galta if we want to play like that that green black winding constrictor deck. Whoa. We could have like Ronus, Galta, Virtus Gear Hulk, that kind of stuff too. I think Galt is going to surprise people in standard. Um, Interesting. Twelve twelve trample is just huge. You can't harness lightning. That. <laughs> but I, I guess that one of the, the actually the, the best modern card we didn't talk about um, because it's a reprint is Silvergill Adept, right? Like oh, that's right, the, yeah. the slam dunk where the foils are going to get pretty low and then come back up. And actually, I mentioned last week one of my picks was the Silvergill Adept Russian uh, foil. Uh, open house promos because the art is fantastic and they were available on eBay in and around 10 bucks. That seems like a slam dunk. Um, silent. Some people are excited about silent gravestone in, in modern, but not so sure. You know, it's the cards and graveyards can't be the target of spells or abilities. Yeah. Um, I think there's just better options though in modern, but that seems really like meta dependent and whether it takes a slot or not in the side. Right. That that's like the kind of card that dredge could play in their sideboard to keep people from, using scavenging use and surgical extraction against them. Yeah, this but, is uh, it's the anti graveyard hate graveyard hate card, right? Yeah. The only problem with it is they can't really life from the loam very well with it out. That's the one problem there. 
All right, so that leaves us with a huge pile of EDH cards. I mean, I think that my takeaway from this set, having reviewed um, the lists, is that this set is very EDH-focused, and that reflects to me that Wizards is, you know, in their quest to get people to buy more cards uh, as frequently as possible, um, is trying to really nurture the EDH community throughout the year, throughout the product cycle for the year, to make sure they get lots of new tools to play with, um, in the hopes that even in the face of a weak standard, they can sell the new set. Um, there is just a ton of EDH cards here. So top of that list, we've got the Immortal Sun. This is the legendary artifact for six. Players can't activate Planeswalkers, loyalty abilities, which basically says the guy that plays um, Planeswalkers at your table doesn't get to do anything, um, which is basically, well, probably, probably one of the top five EDH decks in the current meta. At the beginning of your draw step, draw an additional card. Spells you cast cost one less, and all your creatures get plus one, plus one. So there's a lot of competition in that four to six mana artifact does a bunch of things range, but this is still pretty powerful. Yeah, I love this card. Um, I kind of want to play this in standard. <laughs> I, <wanna> look, <laughs> I don't know exactly how, though. I'm maybe going to refurbish this after I milk. Like, maybe I have this in my sideboard in my God Pharaoh's gift deck. I am recording a Versus series video tomorrow that's going to go up next week. Uh, it will go up on Monday, and I'm playing God Pharaoh's Gift against Todd Anderson, and I do have this in my sideboard. I don't really... Nice. Yeah, I mean, it just does lots of things, you know? Like, so if, if I'm playing against, like, some Grixis Planeswalker deck or whatever, you could come in there and just draw some more cards and maybe make my tokens and stuff get plus one, plus one, or, you know, whatever creatures I have out, and I spell... You know, it just does so much. So this is like you champion a Witsit into the graveyard, then refurbish yeah. it back. It's it's that is it's a very cool card. It's it's a little hard to believe that it would be good enough, but I, I hope so. I hope so for your sake, Todd. It is a nifty card. Right. Foils are currently 35. I'm gonna talk about all these EDH cards in the following from the following angle, which is that they're all too expensive right now. Um, because the set's not even fully out yet. Um so we're gonna set a target price and target exit, or just you know, leave it at the target price if you're just on the premise that some people are just looking to get a copy or two for their own decks. So Immortal Sun, I want to, this is a foil mythic. I want to see it come down in the eight to $10 range and then give it a few years and you'll probably be able to flip it for 15 or 20. Sounds good. Does that sound yeah. about right? So the next one on the list is Atali Primal Storm. I would say this is the card I'm most excited to play with in EDH. This is the 6-6 legendary vampire that when it attacks, you get to put aside the top card off every player's library all of the opponents plus you so in a five person edh game that's five cards and then you get to cast them for free anytime you want for potentially a massive mana advantage this this is modern playable really modern playable so if you're thinking about like in um either uh uh scred red or um green red ponza we could have that could be some kind of finisher i mean it is really strong casting you know, free cards on either of those. Like, so, you know, you're basically looking like the Inferno Titan Storm Breath Dragon slot. Um, I don't know. What's, what's the, what's the black spell that brings back legendary creatures from the graveyard for one and a black and gives them. Oh yeah. Gorio's Vengeance. That's yeah. Yeah. Gorio's Vengeance and Atali. Yeah. That sounds awesome. (laughs) So that's just faithless looting into Gorio's Vengeance on turn two. yeah, swing, why you, swing for six and cast two spells. Yeah, instead of putting gristle brands in your deck that are completely uncastable, you could at least have this that's like kind of castable. Now, now listen, you will find yes. few bigger fans of Gorio's Vengeance than me. But even 
that I am dubious <laughs> of this, of that combo and this card in modern, if for no other reason than it doesn't have haste, right? So like you're doing so much work and like if you hit just uh, a land or an irrelevant card on the first swing with this, like I feel like you're just waiting. You're putting so much time and effort into nothing. Oh yeah, definitely dubious, but it, it, there's, it, it could be there, you know, like, you know, we talked about some pretty bad modern cards before this could, this could do something. I mean, th- these are the kind of decks where you invest a lot of resources to get something cool on the board and then you fizzle mm-hmm. because they deal with it. Um, so I think like they very rarely go tier one, but I'd love to see Todd put it on stream one night, Gorio's Vengeance Itali. Uh, I'd be a lot more excited about it if Seeding Song was in the format. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, well, we got Geosurge. True, but in edh i think we can all agree this thing is crazy pants um and not even necessarily a a dinosaur focused card it's just going to be a red focus card it's going to be a commander and a card that make probably makes it into the hundred for almost any red deck yeah this is a really cool i i do really like the card and i think it will be an edh staple um do you know do you realize this card doesn't have flying every time i look at this stupid thing i expect it to have flying you know, the other thing that's weird is that the elder uh, dinosaurs, uh, and it's super cute that it's EDH can also now be elder dragon Highlander, not just elder, uh, I mean, elder uh, dinosaur Highlander, not just elder dragon. That's cute. Uh, that's cute, cute. But it's weird that they made the, the elder dinosaurs rares and a bunch of the weird random dinosaurs mythics. So for instance, trap jaw raptor, no, Trapjaw Tyrant is a mythic, but Itali is a rare. Um, so as a mythic foil, I would have been much more excited about the prospects for this card. As a mythic rare, I mean, sorry, as a foil rare, uh, it's currently at $20. I think it needs to come down into the like 5 or $6 zone on the on the back of... A bunch of EDH players will pick it up right off the bat. Then the demand will fall off a cliff. The foils will come down into some reasonable price point, and then they'll set up a two or three year hold to get from like six to a fifteen dollar buy list or something. I think that big dinosaur needs to just put on some little lightning greaves. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. It, it really shoots. wants lightning greaves on the table when it shows up. So, <laughs> so the other one we already talked about, Azor's Gateway. Um, again, Mythic foils sitting at twenty five. You have a lot more time. Uh, in EDH to get those five cards into exile and you have a lot uh, broader range of casting costs in your deck so the odds that you can get to it off the first five flips is much higher and you have things like voltaic key type effects that can untap your artifacts uh, so that you could do it all in one turn potentially Um, and then you're making mana equal to your life total in a format where you start with way more life Um, so I think gateway is definitely going to get there for EDH it's, yeah, I, I, I talked about this before. I think it's a really cool card. I think it absolutely will. If only because people want to try and figure out a way to a clever way to flip it over. Yeah, so my target on this one is 10 bucks. I want to spend $10 on these foils in like early summer during a Star City game sale or something. Um, and then aim to hold them for a couple of years and sell them mm-hmm. at 20 So one of the more obvious dinosaurs that will take over as a commander for many people is the Kama Primal Calamity. This thing is just like... A, a wall of text that just says play me an edh <laughs> yep do you play edh todd um not actually i haven't really too much uh yeah i've i've always just kind of lived a long ways away from my friends and stuff so it makes playing edh difficult oh um my my first reaction to this was not to uh not to play this over um uh the other one Gishaf. though Gishaf. Yeah, Gazaf, Gazaf, Gazaf. 
Yeah, I think this is a, a better include in the Jazath deck than a commander. Um, I could be proven wrong, but especially with foils at $50. I mean, come on, come on. Who are you kidding? Ugh, yeah, I, I, capitalism. I, I, I want this card in my portfolio, but I want them at like 6 to $8 and sell them at 15 later. And and yeah. that also goes for Galta Primal Hunter. I want that's at eight for foils. I want those to come down. That, that's a rare again. All the elder dinosaurs are. I want that to come down to four or five bucks and sell it at ten later. Trapjaw Tyrant looks like in blink decks. It's really good. Doesn't necessarily need to be in a dinosaur deck. That's the one that when it comes into play, um, you exile. Uh, no, just whenever it's enraged. Whenever it's enraged. Oh, when it's then enraged, you yeah. Exile a creature and opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield. Right. So you like pyrohemia or something. It's in like uh because the dinosaur deck is Naya colors, you have like repetitive red damage effects. So you hit it like three times in a turn. Um you do two to it with Ether Flash when it comes into play and get to exile a bunch of stuff. Yeah, but only until it leaves the battlefield, and then it's so easy to answer a creature in EDH, and whenever it's answered, then they get all their stuff back. Uh, I'm not sold on this one. Do you not uh, do you not like this in standard at all? Um, you've got a five out of five five who gets to Oblivion Ring multiple targets. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, they're just not white creature decks. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know where it would go. Like, that's white creature decks aren't really a thing. Right. So, even if there's a dinosaur deck, you don't think this this earns a slot. No, because I, I don't think there's I think dinosaur decks would most likely be just green red. Um, yeah, you need, you need goblin bombardment. Put that in the format. This thing will be disgusting. Well, you got your uh, I guess there's the one man of one one goblin. That's but yeah, there you go. So the other overpriced foil dinosaur for EDH is Polyraptor, which has all sorts of combos. This is six and two green uh, and it's a five five where when you would, when you deal damage to it via enrage, you create a token of it. So with Ether Flash on the battlefield, you go into an infinite loop right away. Um, and I suspect that over time, people will find all sorts of cute little things to do with this um, that kind of instantly win the game. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Todd, can you confirm that Polyraptor and uh, Aether Flash is an infinite loop and ties the game? Um, I do not know Aether Flash. Aether Flash, I don't know that's enchantment. That two damage to a creature when it comes into play. It's an enchantment for two and two red. So then, whenever a creature comes into play, it deals two damage to it. Yeah, that. Yeah, that would have to just be an infinite. Yeah, that would have to just goes on forever. Yeah, that would have to just yeah go on forever. I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna sit over here and not feel upset about the fact that. I've been, clearly been playing Magic for probably five times longer than Todd has, and I have never been a Star City Player of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> Random thoughts by Travis. Yeah. So Polyraptor <laughs> foils are at 18. I want those to be at, I don't know, 4 to $6 or something, aiming for a 10-plus exit, but I'm not going to make – that's not a priority. Um, yeah, that's yeah. I don't see that one being too great either. Here's another card that reminds me of a tally, though, in terms of how much card advantage it can create uh, that I think is probably under some people's radar. That's Dead Man's Chest. This is the black enchantment for one and a black. You put it on somebody else's creature, and when that creature dies, you uh, flip cards, exile cards off the top of their deck equal to um, the power of the creature um, that died, and then you get to cast them whenever you want. So it's a Gaunty-style effect where if you put it on a 5-5 that dies which, you know, if you put it on a big threat on the table that you know somebody's going to deal with, you're pretty guaranteed to get the card advantage. You get all these cards that you get to cast. 
Yeah, that, that seems like a lot of fun. That's a that's a really good EDH card. You know, like that's just a, a lot of fun. There's a lot of variables of what could actually happen. And that's that's the kind of fun stuff in EDH where you're like, well, this card could be terrible or it could be awesome where I cast like five sweet things for free. You know, like it's those kind of it's that kind of stuff with like that kind of play pattern that makes cards really enjoyable because uh, they could be just anything. Yeah. And so, yeah, the card's yeah. cool. Like it. it doesn't actually cast them for free. It just gets, lets you cast them for with mana of any color. But you're still getting oh, you're still getting yeah, big yeah. big card advantage. Yeah, well, that's that's not nearly as fun. Casting <laughs> stuff for free is more fun. <laughs> so, but I like it's the kind of thing where if like a lot of the, a lot of EDH decks run like eight Wrath of God effects or something, six to eight or something, and everybody else is running them too if they know what they're doing. So, putting this onto a loaded board onto the biggest thing that's out there, somebody else's giant dinosaur or whatever, and then watching it die means you're getting a ton of card advantage. All right, so Azor the Lawbringer probably gets played in inappropriate decks given that it can Sphinx's Rev um, and messes with people' opponents' abilities to cast spells if you're blinking it in and out. Uh, current foil price, 22, too high. I wanted, I put 15 here, but I think that's probably even too high. I think if it doesn't get played very much in standard and it ends up being in the 8 to $10 range for foils and then maybe pick up a couple for the long term. Yeah. It's an nifty. I mean, is Dead Eye Navigator? Sorry, is Dead Eye Navigator still legal? Yeah, he sure is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. You can just keep on doing this. It's, it's less funny than it looks because he lets your opponents cast the instants and sorceries when it's not their turn. He doesn't silence them until their next turn. So yeah, I can only say, silences one person at a time, right? Yeah. So like yeah. after Todd's turn passes, he can cast his instance on James's turn, which is ugh. So here's, yeah. a, here's a card that's almost certainly a Brea staple, Storm the Vault. This is the one that Legendary Enchantment for two blue-red. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you get a uh, colorless treasure token, so you get a lotus petal. And then once you have five or more artifacts, you flip it. One of the things I love about this is you're not actually relying on your creatures to deal damage in Brea or any of the ar- artifact-focused decks um, for this thing to flip. You're probably flipping it into the, like flipping it the second it hits the board. Um, you know, you're running your soul ring, your mana vault, you've got a couple of tokens or you had a hanger back walker that blocked and died and left some tokens on the table or whatever. And then you're flipping into a Tolarian Academy with upside that can tap for any color as the backup plan. Yeah. So, you know, so you are spending four mana for your Tolarian Academy instead of just, you know, having a, a land. So you do have to spend four mana on it and you can't use it right away no matter what, because you do have to wait till your end step to be able to transform it. So you can't use it that turn no matter what. After you spend your four mana. So there is a little downside here. Um, the flip side is uh, that it's legal. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And I, I think in Bray, it's a slam dunk. It really, I think it's long-term prospects depend on how low the foils get. And I, this is another one where if they've got the like Japanese buy box promo, then that's the one I'm going to pick up. Um, the storm the vault regular no i'm not i'm not i'm not into it the, the i want some rare foils for the occasional edh bling type player foils are at 18 right now that's way too high i want them in the five to six dollar range if at all um and probably targeting the buy boxes in the 15 dollar range with an exit over 15 so i mean there's a bunch of other cards that are, are likely to see play in edh but i don't think are a huge deal like slaughter the strong bonus hunger the silver-clad Ferocidons is the other dinosaur that, if it's enraged, um, does something cute where it forces all the opponents to sack permanent. Um, Path of Discovery looks like it's pretty sweet in a, in a token-heavy deck where you're exploring constantly, like over and over and over again. 
Um, Journey to Eternity foils are way overpriced at 17. I'd like those to come down to like the three or $4 range. That's the one that lets you bring cards back from your graveyard repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Once you figure out how to kill the original card. Yeah, that one looks fun. Um, what do y'all think of Nezahal Primal Tide in EDH? Where So it's blue, seven mana, seven, seven. It can't be countered. That seems like a good clause. And then I love in EDH that you have no maximum hand size. You know, that, yep. that probably isn't that big a deal in like regular constructed EDH. That seems amazing. And then whenever any opponent casts any non-creature spell, you get to draw a card. That's, uh, I mean, you have no maximum hand size is a really big deal in that format. Uh, I actually think that it is, <laughs> it, it makes you feel very powerful. I also think it's one of the worst mechanics in terms of fun games, but people do really like it. I mean, Reliquary Tower and uh, what is our Commander's Sphere or something are, are as popular as they are for a reason. Uh, it is a lot easier to get blown out with this, or at least uh, to lose that advantage than it is on something like Reliquary Tower because it's so much easier to get rid of the creature. Now, you do get to pitch three cards to pick him back up, but you had to have played him and then drawn a lot of cards before you start doing that. Uh, willy nilly. So foils at twelve is is real rough here. Foils at two to three definitely worth considering. I'll be curious to see what his EDH rack profile looks like. Maybe three months out, you know, is he at five or six hundred decks? Because that's real interesting. Pretty early. If he's still only at eighty five decks after a couple months, uh, probably not enough demand there. This is also a card <laughs> I've been playing a lot in my blue sideboards and standard. I've been real happy with it so far. Hmm. That's like the Pearl Lake ancient slot. Yeah, like the anti in like the control matchups, you know, like they can't counter it. And then the the one problem with that is it's it doesn't have flash. And so like you have to play it on your turn and even they can just untap and be like, well, I'll just use this wrath that was just sitting in my hand. And yeah, yeah. But I, I also think like you previously mentioned Tetsamok Primal Death. This is the other elder dinosaur because uh, Tetsamok. Uh, puts prey counters on even if they exile them or kill him and you've got to bring him back from the graveyard later and redraw him or whatever um, or if he's a commander for instance in a mono black deck that's leveraging a lot of like big mana effects off some of those older black lands um, like cabal coffers and so forth the it doesn't matter that he's left play because the prey counters are still prey counters and what he says is when he enters the battlefield destroy each creature your opponent's control with a prey counter so he is actually like a, a fairly decent um uh inevitability uh in a black heavy deck like he can he can just distribute prey counters wherever you've got a spare black and um you know eventually he's gonna wipe a board yeah yeah i've been really happy with that card in standard that card's been really good i i did like i said before it wasn't even on my top 20 list before but it's been really good one other black card for edh here like we're mentioning before twilight prophet um this was one I have. I have a friend that has a vampire EDH deck. Absolutely loved it. Threw it in immediately. Um, because when you have the city's blessing, which is not that hard in EDH, right? To have 10 permanents out. Um, yeah. uh, whenever you do the dark confidant effect of reveal the top card of your library and put it into your hand, each opponent's losing that life. So, you know, like you reveal, oh, you yeah. reveal like a seven drop, everybody at the table loses seven life and you gain seven life and you put that in your hand. <laughs> like this is like a card that will have yes. a target on, on its head right away, you know? And that's, you know, like that's this is a real powerful a EDH card. Huge beating. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, like that's so Especially much Especially in a, a deck or yeah. a color combination that might be able to find ways to spend that life too. I mean, I've been impressed with some of the incidental life loss cards in Vampires and various strategies in EDH. Uh, it gets a lot more ground than you would expect. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so I like I like Twilight, Twilight Prophet and EDH. Those foils are currently sitting at oh, okay. thirty. Um, I think I want to see those come down under ten, yeah. <clears throat> and that's and that's largely going to depend on whether your predictions about its use in standard come true. If it's popular in standard for some solid period of time, then it's going to take longer before you get, anyone's able to get these on sale for EDH. Okay, so I want to use this as a quick opportunity, um, and maybe you guys talked about this while I was on my work phone call, so I apologize. But uh, what is your take on um, ascend? And City's Blessing, Todd, because it, to me, this is the type of thing that's very difficult to put a put a value on until you've really sat down and cast cards with that effect and seen how often it comes up. Uh, is that your read or what's your take on it? Yeah. Yeah. So what I've kind of found out with Ascend is that in uh, Limited, it's much easier than than uh, I thought. It's it's really easy to Ascend in Limited. Um just even like turn six, turn seven, which of course limited games go to it's you probably have like six, six lands, four creatures or whatever. You know, like that's not a hard thing to have. Um, so ascending is, is a real bonus and limited in constructed. It's, you know, still waiting to kind of see that, but I could really see the Abzan token decks uh, ascending pretty easily um, as well as just some of the control decks with like the blue eye control decks with just having a lot of lands, having stuff like baffling and cast out Ixalan binding just to help them out too. I don't think ascending is going to be too difficult. Um, now, with that that being said, besides Twilight Prophet, none of the, the other ascend cards are like, you know, like format warping uh, power level. You know, like I don't think they're like sure you can't interact with it like energy you couldn't interact with, but I don't see too many things of like when you can ascend, it's so broken. You know, I mean, so. if EDH didn't exist as a format, I question whether Ascend would even have been something they would have tabled. Yeah, I could see that too. Because I mean, it's a, in a constructed format that's heavy on control elements. Um, you know, decks are gonna have are are gonna have trouble getting that many permanents in play. If you have grindy decks that gum up the board, you know, your Whirler Virtuoso type battles, like some of the battles we saw in Standard last season, where there were so many permanents on the board that coverage couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. Um, then ascend seems you know a little better, but if you able if decks are able to gr- wipe the board and constantly trade resources, it's you know a tough thing to capitalize on. Yeah. All right. So, so the only other one that I don't think we touched on from this list was uh, a token uh, flavored card, Tender Shoot Dryad. Um, is pretty solid. Uh, this is another ascend card, four and a green for just a two two. But at the beginning of each upkeep, you create a 1-1 green Saffron creature token. And the key there is it's each upkeep. So on every player's turn, you're getting a 1-1. So if you're not at Ascend when you play it, you're going to be soon. And Saffronlings you control get plus 2, plus 2 as long as you have the City's Blessing. I mean, that thing can turn into a beating real fast in EDH. Uh, pretty fun with doubling season. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, so that's like, those foils are only four bucks right now. Um, and I think anywhere in the three to $4 range, if you want to pick up copies for your deck is fine. The non-foils are obviously extremely cheap. Um, we don't really have like a super amazing, like high profile commander for tokens in EDH that people are like super excited about. Um, so, I mean, I, I expect we will get one in the next couple of years and that'll make cards like this uh, increase their demand profile. Yeah, it is. It is a cool card. Uh, you know, I still even with how standard has played out in the last several months, popularity has waned. Uh, I'm still not in a position where I'm too eager about cards like this 
you know, transitioning from standard to EDH, especially when we're talking about non-foils. I was in years past, you know, parallel lives out of Innistrad. I remember um, I was very happy with that at the time, but I'm still, I'm still not there. Like rare cards in standard still make me nervous, basically. Non-foil rare cards for EDH. Yeah, I mean, I'm re- the reason I tracked only foil prices for EDH here is because that's re- really the only the only way I want to invest into EDH. The the, the fact that the format is right. one ofs means that that anything that's less than mythic is pretty tough to make money on unless it's some kind of promo or you know it, it has some artificial rarity attached to it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess I just wanted to reiterate that for our listeners if they were wondering if they can go in on standard cards or on uh, standard cards yet for EDH. It's like, eh, no, there's only if it's foil. All right, so I think that's pretty much a wrap for for rivals. Um, would we all agree that this is like there are some interesting standard cards, a relative dearth of modern cards, and quite a few EDH cards here? Yep, sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, everyone's more excited about the bannings and opening up standard in that regard than they are the cards specifically in Rivals of Ixalan. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this kind of shows that uh, like, I'm pretty excited about uh, the set starting to be just one of, you know, like we're in, like we moved away from like the, the three block sets to two or like, yeah, like the three set blocks. There we go the three set blocks to the two set blocks. And now we're just going to one set blocks. And I'm pretty excited about that because second sets just, there's been so many like poor second sets that haven't really done very much. And I'm pretty excited just to always have like, you know, first set excitement throughout the whole year coming up. It, it makes a lot of sense from this format maintenance perspective, right? Because the, by switching mechanics more frequently, you can correct your mistakes if the play group lets things through even after they've invested that additional set of resources into trying to manicure the formats ahead of time, then at least you know that in three months you're going to get something fresh that should shake things up. Yeah, and now with having the core sets, uh, the core sets just give them a spot to be able to be like, well, you know what, we want this, you know, whatever card here in standard to help out, even though, you know, it doesn't have any flavor to go with any of the the uh, worlds that we're at, so we couldn't really fit it, but now we have core sets that can fit in, you know, anything. Yeah, because the whole thing with core sets in the summer that they used to leverage that they're intending to go back to is that you can design most of the set way ahead of time as per usual, but you leave yourself with some flex slots and you've got this file of potential fixes for the format that you might that maybe got designed inside the block that you didn't use because you didn't have the slot for it. And if you need it as a release valve for something problematic in the format, you can print it into that set and make sure it's available to the players. Yeah, I, and man, I will tell you, I am really disappointed they went back on their uh, their setup with the two set blocks or uh, the eighteen month rotation. Right. I still think pulling back on that was a mistake, um, and I would love for them to go back to that. And I think that's been the cause behind a lot of the issues we've had in standard, and, I, and I'm sure others well, have voiced these concerns too. Um, just because these sets weren't designed for it, right? Uh, but at this point, it's a done deal. I don't see Wizards going back to the 18-month sets again. I'm not actually sure they should. I, th- I think that the 18-month thing was uh, a decent swipe at the underlying problem, which is how do you, fi- you know, how do you make sure that you can get out of a, a tough spot if things go south? But one block, uh, one set blocks is probably more effective because you, the players can still buy cards that they can rely on to play for longer. But you have the reveal, re- release valves from mechanic 
constraints more often. And so hopefully that plus the play design team gets them there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep, that's all right. Nice to see the refreshes. So big thank yous to our friend Todd Stevens, uh, Star City Games Player of the Year for last season. Um, Excellent, as always, to have you on with your insights into the constructed formats. Um, Everybody should check out uh, Todd's regularly streaming on Twitch. And I have been a longtime supporter there because Todd is a brewer after my own heart. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Uh, and thanks everybody for, uh, coming out for another, uh, big episode of MTG fast finance. Um, Travis, where can people find you online? Well, I am on Twitter at wizard bumpin, B U M P I N. I write every Monday for MTG price. Uh, I do the watchtower articles, trying to keep an eye out for cards that, that might be worth, uh, checking in on. Um, and I occasionally show up on the webcast cartel aristocrats, uh, Todd, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Todd Stevens MTG, also on Twitch streaming there at Todd Stevens MTG. And you can see my written and video content over at StarCityGames.com or on their YouTube channel. And you can also see me at any SCG Open for the foreseeable future. So if you're traveling to any of the Opens, always come. feel free to uh, come by and say hi. always like meeting more people. And, awesome. uh, and tell him that Fast Finance sent you so that he keeps coming back. Yes. Uh, <laughs> after last time, I had around three or four people tell me that. that they're, they're like, hey, weren't you the person that was on Fast Finance? I was like, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> really? In, 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 in his stream the other night, he, he did us a solid and announced that he was going to be appearing. And some people were like, whoa, I love that podcast. And I was like, yeah, nice. I am yeah. blown away. Blown away right now. <laughs> No one has ever approached me. No, that's not true. I had like two people come up to me at GP Vegas. And I really, they just talked to me because they were over there talking to somebody else already. Wow. That's fair, cool. Fair enough. All right. Well, it's, it's cross, cross-pollination of our marketing strategy. Hey, I'm all for it. All right, James, where can our listeners find you? As always, you guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles, mdgprice.com, or potentially crying over the state of the cryptocurrency market. Mm. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mdgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, Todd, thank you again so much for coming with us. It was a lot of fun to have you here. And James, it was a pleasure as always. Uh, And I will see you guys next time on MTG Fest Finance. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week. (laughs) 